At Christ Point, we exist to point people to Jesus, and one of the ways that we do that is by engaging all people. This morning, I want to share with you a great opportunity that we have to partner with an incredible organization next month. Operation Christmas Child, uh, each and every year, we'll pack shoeboxes and send them around the world, uh, not only with uh, gifts or toys for kids, but uh, also, and more importantly, the gospel message. Uh, each year, Operation Christmas Child will literally send out millions of shoeboxes, and we have uh, the great joy and privilege of partnering with them. On Sunday, November the 15th, our church family will gather at Ayler Barn, and our service will be service. We're going to come together as a church family and assemble, Lord willing, 250 shoeboxes. And so I want to encourage you over the next month to bring those supplies to the Ayler Barn, drop them off. We can leave them there and then we'll assemble those boxes together on Sunday, November the 15th. If you need a list, look in your Christ Point news uh, or there'll be a special email that comes out each week leading up to that. Uh, this should go without saying, but uh, I think it's important that I remind you, uh, Christ Point is not a one-man show. As a matter of fact, I really firmly believe that the body of Christ functions most effectively and most beautifully when we come together and use the gifts and abilities that God has given to each of us to advance the gospel, both in our community and around the world. It's one of the reasons at Christ Point that we want to celebrate God's good work in other people and how he has gifted and equipped our church body with unique gifts and different gifts. One of the things that's so important to me as the pastor at Christ Point is for us as a church family to hear from other voices that God has gifted uniquely and differently. That's why this morning I'm honored to uh, let you know that we are going to be hearing from Billy Gwaltney. Billy Gwaltney is one of the elders at Christ Point. He has served faithfully for a number of years. He has a passion for missions and God has gifted him with an incredible ability to see the big picture and to be passionate about the things of Christ. We're honored to hear from Billy this morning and so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we hear the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Billy Gwaltney. I'm one of the elders at Christ Point, and I am happy to be with you today to share some good news from God's word. Today we're continuing our study of 1 Peter. Uh, we will be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. Again, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. Let's pray and we will dig in. Father, uh, thank you for today. Thank you for loving us. Uh, thank you for your word. Help us to hear what you want us to hear and give us the courage to do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God has grown me a lot over the last decade. I've got a long way to go, but he's brought me a long way already. One thing he's helped me with tremendously is the idea of submission. And this is what James has covered over the last few weeks in our study of 1 Peter. Again, I've got a tremendous ways to go, but if there's one proof I turn to when I need reminding of God's work in me, it's often to this area of submission. A number of years ago, I was passed over for a promotion, which was really humbling to me. Those around me knew I wanted the promotion, so not getting it was a gut punch. 
And yet as soon as it happened, I sensed a voice, the Holy Spirit, I think, nudging me to submit to and honor the person who overlooked me by publicly and privately congratulating the person who was chosen. I sensed God telling me in that moment that I'm to do it not for the benefit of others, but for my eternal benefit, for what it would make of me to do it. So I prayed about it. I asked God to help me because I was definitely going to need his help. And I obeyed. And it was not because I wanted to, uh, but because I knew it was what God wanted me to do. I also knew it was wise to do in the long run, and I'm really glad today that I did it. One thing I've learned is that eventually everyone submits. Regardless of how cool you are, how rich someone is, or how experienced someone might be, how good-looking you are, or how good-looking you might think you are, <laughs> if you haven't, eventually you will submit, either on your own voluntarily or with someone else requiring it. Our text today is a transition from the significant words from Peter about submission to government leaders, whether they're corrupt or not, to employers, whether they're corrupt or not, and to spouses, whether they're corrupt or not. And we're transitioning to the very light subject of what it means to suffer well. Just kidding. Uh, it's not light. In fact, it's so heavy, I personally wish I had signed up for a different week to preach. But God saw fit for me to cover this text, and so I want to cover it with all that's in me. As many of you recognize, the Bible is inspired, and contemporary human authors are not. But we can all learn from the wisdom that God has given others. In my own study of today's text, I've been encouraged by the likes of David Helm and his preaching the word commentary. And I'm so grateful that I can lean into this kind of wisdom. So let's read 1 Peter 3, cha uh, yeah, chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. <clears throat> Starting in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now there's a lot here. And we're going to take the next four and a half hours and dive in. No, just kidding. Um, again, today in this passage, we'll be answering the question of what does it mean to suffer well? There are five points that I'll make pretty quickly. Uh, to answer this question of what does it mean to suffer well. First, we suffer well when we humbly live for Christ. Verse 8 again. 
Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Peter is writing this letter to the church and to us today. We're to be united to each other, sympathetic to each other, and show love and tenderness toward each other. On one hand, this raises the bar higher than I or anyone I know can reach consistently. And the Bible does this often. Even if we perform this way for a while, the humble mind part will eventually crash and burn and we'll become proud of how holy we are. But Peter is telling his audience, again believers, to be encouraged in their union with Christ and their reliance on the Holy Spirit. He's drawing us in by commanding and yet gently nudging us toward righteousness. This is a pep talk. His audience needed a pep talk after Peter took them through the difficult text on submission. Have you ever needed a pep talk? I need one regularly, sometimes by the hour. As some of you know, I'm in the insurance business. I have a business mentor named Brian who has been in my life since 2009. Brian is about 10 years older than me, and he's been where I want to go. I don't know what I did to deserve my relationship with Brian. I really don't understand why he picked me to pour into. But as Anne-Marie, my wife, can attest, it's difficult for me to grasp how important he has been in my life and the impact he's had on me professionally, personally, and also spiritually. He's a believer. I wish everyone listening to me right now could have someone like Brian in their life if they don't. Simply put, I would not be anywhere close to where I am now without him in my life. And when I think about Brian, what he actually has done to be so impactful to me it's essentially this. He consistently encourages me. And that's it. He encourages me even if he's not sure that I'll receive it correctly. He listens, he corrects, and he ultimately gives me a pep talk that hits home. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He uses his people, like Brian in this example. He uses his word and he uses the church. And this is what Peter is doing here. He's encouraging the Christians in his audience to push forward into the difficult work of gracious living. I don't know about you, but living the Christian life well can be really hard. It's a struggle at times. And Peter knows this. And he knows we need cheering on if we're going to fight the good fight for the long term. So in verse 8, Peter is encouraging us to suffer well by humbly living for Christ. The second way we suffer well is when we bless. Let's read verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. This has to do with how we treat not only each other in the body of Christ, but also how we treat the outside world, non-believers who do not treat us well first. Shockingly, the uniqueness of Peter's thought in this section isn't that we are called to bless God, like what he discussed in chapter 1, but rather we are called to bless those who persecute us, those who do evil against us, those who revile us. The word revile means to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. This could be those who Peter earlier instructs us to submit to. We're to bless the ungodly ruler and the unjust employer and the difficult spouse. Peter wants us to bless those who are in authority over us. A Christian community, says Peter, 
is a community that blesses. Now, some people are harmonizers. You know who you are. (laughs) I love harmonizers. Um, Harmonizers love to bless because their primary focus is to keep the peace, often at any cost. In the test I've taken for personality profiles, one one thing that I'm not is a harmonizer. For me, justice, my sense of justice, is very high on my list of importance, which essentially means that I don't care for peace until justice has been served first. In being transparent with you, one of the hardest issues for me to deal with in the gospel and with the, is the reality of God's delayed justice. I often look around me, and from what I can see in the moment and from my limited periphery, it looks like the bad guys are winning. It looks like they're getting away with essentially everything. They don't appear to be suffering at the moment. Now the gospel tells me that God will repay every sin, either by being repented for and covered by the blood of Jesus, or paid for in hell for all eternity by the person who committed the sin. Conceptually, this makes sense to me. In my brain, it makes sense. In the brain, I get it. But in my heart, in my default position, there are times when I think it feels like pie in the sky. It feels like God will let them off the hook somehow. My faith often struggles to be enough to let go of my desire to right the wrongs and the reality that there's this disappointment that I cannot do it. Does this make sense? So at first reading, I find verse 9 difficult to swallow. It's even upsetting. My first thoughts are pretty raw. I'm asking, so I'm supposed to bless those who are evil? I'm supposed to bless these snakes that are invading the church in our day with unbiblical garbage about redefining marriage and gender and dividing people into different groups based on external appearance and telling some groups that they're guilty of an unforgivable sin because of something someone did before they were born? This is satanic stuff. And the people spewing it are tools of the devil. I read in the Gospels where John the Baptist hits these types hard. In Matthew 3, 7 it says, But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Later Jesus hits these people hard also. In Matthew 23, 33, Jesus says, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? In Matthew 23, 27, Jesus also says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And also Paul in his letters hits these people hard as well. In Galatians 5, 11, and 12, he says, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I mean, wow. I've been told I can be a bit edgy at times, but I don't recall saying that to anybody, like ever. And yet, here is Peter in our text today telling us to return evil and reviling with a blessing. Why would God expect or even want us to respond this way? I think that's a legitimate question. 
I believe we're to take the context and the whole of Scripture into account when deciding when to rebuke and when to bless. In this setting, Peter clearly has a bigger goal in mind than putting the bad guys in their place in the moment. Peter is encouraging us in our work of submission by reminding us that we have been called to a life of blessing. He's talking about a lifestyle, not just one event. It's a position of the heart. And thankfully, thankfully, the text goes on to show that when we live in the world in this way, our actions will be rewarded. It says we will obtain a blessing. When we bless, we will receive a blessing, sometimes from God and sometimes from the very people who were against us. So imagine arriving in heaven and hearing someone who has been won to Christ through your faithful and submissive service say, bless you. That's a cool thought. So the first way we suffer well is by humbly living for Christ. The second way is when we bless. Now the third way we suffer well is by pursuing peace. Peter continues in verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Aha, now I can begin to stomach some of this. Here Peter is saying why we bless others, even if they don't deserve it. For me it's good to see why I should obey tough commands. You can call me selfish for this. But I think it's actually biblical to attach our obedience to our own ultimate benefit of disobedience. Verses 10 through 12 are from Psalm 34, a psalm of David. During the period of time, he was being chased by Saul. David, who had been chosen by God through Samuel, was forced to suffer as an exile. And yet, Psalm 34 begins with, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What an amazing verse. David, literally an anointed king who is getting completely railroaded by Saul, submitted himself to God's timing and continued to bless God and also bless Saul. I mean, who does that? Why would anyone do this? I think this is why Peter picks this psalm to support the point he has been making about us living lives of submission, suffering, and also blessing. Twice during this time, David had the opportunity to kill Saul. Twice. And he passed on both of them. Was this because he wasn't angry or upset? I don't think so. It was because he submitted to God in faith first. Verse 12 tells us part of the reason why. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And now we're getting to the good stuff. We do this hard work of blessing because we want more of God. We want what God gives His humble, obedient, and faithful people. We do it because when we obey, we will win. It's guaranteed. In David's situation, he even receives a blessing directly from Saul, who said in 1 Samuel 26, verses 23 and 25, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. Blessed be you, my son David. Here we have the real life situation of a man, David, 
who gave his life to submission. What an encouragement this had to be to Peter's readers who were likely struggling with this call to submit to ungodly rulers and unjust leaders. And that sounds familiar. So it should be a significant, significant encouragement to us to do this today as well. God is providing his church with proof that he does reward the righteous. So we press on in doing good because we have seen again that God is trustworthy. And this leads to the fourth way we suffer well, which is by simply doing good. Peter continues in verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. There are two themes running through these verses, fear and blessing. First, regarding fear, we're to have a proper fear of God as our creator and sustainer. Our submission to proper authorities comes out of our fear of God, our honoring and respecting God as the God and creator of the universe. Conversely, we are not to fear men. Here in verse 14, we read that if we suffer, we should have no fear nor be troubled by our persecutors. Again, the emphasis throughout is on proper fear. The one who fears the Lord will be delivered from his own fears. I want to say that again. The one who fears the Lord will be delivered from his own fears. Second, regarding blessing, this is an especially important word for a worn down people needing encouragement to press on. I think this is why this word reappears in Peter's letter twice in this text, in verse 9 and again here in verse 14. I believe Peter wants us to learn to take it up in practice. Bless God and bless others. This is the divine key that unlocks our ability to remain steadfast and joyfully submissive. So we suffer well when we humbly live for Christ, when we bless, when we pursue peace, and when we simply do good. And now the fifth way we suffer well is when we honor Christ as holy above all else. Let's read verses 15 through the rest of our text today in verse 17. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for, the, for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. At this point in his letter, Peter lays out two results that come from our submission and obedience to God. First, we come across opportunities to make a defense for the hope that is in us. Look at verse 15. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. One good thing that emerges from our obedience is that we will have opportunities to speak about Jesus. Many Christians point to this verse as proof text for being a strong gospel witness and the need for apologetics. Now, we do need to have a strong gospel witness and we need good apologetics. But given the context of Peter's main point here, which is faithful submission in a hostile world, it is more likely that what Peter intends with verse 15 is that we will have a chance to explain why we are suffering. 
people will be wondering how we patiently endure the unjust decisions and treatment of those in authority over us. And when they ask, why are you the way you are, we can explain the reason for the hope that is in us. With gentleness and respect, we can tell others that we are looking for God to raise us up in His good time. It may be now, or it may be in eternity. And in the meantime, in the meantime, we don't expect to receive any better treatment than Jesus received. And this leads to what the high justice types like me want to hear. The second result of our obedience is ultimately what we will hear or what will occur on the last day. Verse 16 says, So that those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And there it is. God will vindicate us in the end. So we are to leave room for His judgment, which will be more just and far more complete than anything we could hope for. So we endure and we are encouraged. You have been called to be a blessing. The psalmist David has confirmed this. And how do we ultimately do this? Through two beautiful words in verse 16. In Christ. I love that. It is always, always, always our union with Christ that completes us and that fills us and that finishes everything that God started in us. If you are not in Christ, none of this is doable. It's only in Christ. So in closing, suffering well, as God defines it, is not only difficult, it's actually impossible to do on our own with any consistency. We must have the Holy Spirit in us, changing us and shaping us and loving us. If we will submit and move further into our union with Christ, His sweetness will take over. And we will find ourselves humbly living for Christ, able to bless others, pursuing peace, doing good, and honoring Christ as holy above everything else. And we will suffer well. Let's pray. Father, uh, we bless your name. We thank you for the encouragement we get from the life of David. We thank you for inspiring Peter to write these words. Help us to honor you as holy and let us always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that is in us with all gentleness, for your glory, for their good, and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.